right, well, I'm excited to talk to you. I've got a chance to, to get to know you a little bit here uh, as, of, as of recently over the last year or so. Um, you know, your, your story is unique, um, you know, just going back to your, your playing days, transitioning to coaching underneath a, a living legend, um, and now taking over a program that for a lot of people, you know, the, it's not a household name, right? It's a situation you look at, you know, a guy coming from Florida State and say, well, why would he come from Florida State to Cleveland State? And, you know, you, you have that, you know, that, that why not, you know, like, this is a, a great place to be. This is a place that I can make special. Uh, so excited to talk to you about that. Excited to talk to you about, about your, your career and you know, the steps that you've taken. So I guess the place I want to start, um, you know, most people know the name. They, they know they've heard you know, Cleveland State head coach. They've heard Horizon League coach of the year. So they know the name, but I, I don't think a lot of people really know the man. So you know, who, who is Dennis Gates? Well, first, I'll start off by saying thank you, Justin, for having me. Uh, definitely an honor to uh, share this platform with you. The other thing is I want to send my wishes to anybody out there who has been impacted with, with COVID-19. Uh, I wish you, your family, your friends, your loved ones well um, during this time. Definitely a, a different, different uh, circumstance and a watershed moment. But uh, who is Dennis Gates? I mean, I was born and raised in Chicago. Um, I'm the son of a truck driver and son of a registered nurse. And um, I, I think I'm, I am truly a product of the people who poured into my life. Um, my educators and coaches, those are the people that, um, you know, gave me the confidence to lead. They always said that I would uh, be somebody. And growing up in inner city Chicago, sometimes you have to see the example. And they gave me the example. Uh, and, and they motivated me to become a coach. Um, I think, you know, I, I am definitely a, a, a family-oriented uh, man, um, unbelievable wife. She's, she is my support system. And then two wonderful children, a six-year-old and a, a two-year-old. So uh, for me, man, I'm, I'm grounded in, in faith, family, and friendship uh, for the most part. And, and I definitely appreciate, um, like I said, being on this platform with you. You know, you, you touched on a couple key things, um, the influence of your parents and coaches. You touched on, you know, your your family structure. Um, you touched on your upbringings in inner city Chicago. Um, and, and, you know, one of my best friends, you know, I, I played at University of Illinois. One of my best friends, Cam Buckner, he's a state rep in Illinois. Uh, and he was on, we, I interviewed him, and he talked about kind of growing up. Um, he grew up on, on the south side. He's talked about, you know, how for a, lot of, for a lot of young men, especially young black men growing up in Chicago, you don't see a lot of the opportunities, a lot of the options, and a lot of uh, the things beyond, you know, your surroundings that you're capable of, of being. So to hear that, you know, your, your parents, your coaches, those around you poured into you and, and let you see that is huge. Uh, so did you always know coaching was a part of who you were going to be? I'll tell you what, man, the power of words is unbelievable. Um, you know, these same people told me they loved me and they told me that I would be one day a coach. I didn't know that, that at that time. I didn't believe them. But I'll tell you this. They saw something in me that I didn't see in myself and the responsibility of some adults and especially those who are mentors is to hold up a mirror and allow young people to see a reflection 
and the best version of themselves that they can see. I've taken that mantra myself. I've adapted and, and, and sort of used it as my guiding light uh, as I've coached and as I've, uh, I've mentored others. But, you know, for me, man, it, it came down to um, my leadership. You know, one thing is hilarious. During my uh, home visits, and you'll appreciate this, JB, I didn't ask how many minutes I'll play. I didn't ask how many shots I'll get. I asked every coach one simple question. Do you have a rule against freshmen becoming captains? And it wasn't how or what they answered. It was the coach's response of body language that spoke to me. There was one coach that sat to the edge of his seat, and that was Ben Braun. I mean, I had every witch coach in America in my home. And Ben Braun sat on the edge of his seat and said, if that's your skill, if that's your talent, there's no doubt about it. There's room on, in this program for you. And at that moment, all I was doing was doing what my AAU coach, what my high school coach, what my elementary school coach, and what those educators said I would. And that's be a great leader. And I wanted a place where I was going to be a great leader and, and afford me the opportunity. It's no different than if someone was looking at a school and they said, you know, my biggest skill is three-point shooting and or my biggest skill is, 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 is ball handling and passing and distributing the ball. Well, they're going to see what program matches that, where they can obviously be needed and used. At that point, Kyle was coming off of probation. And, you know, Ben Braun, former Eastern Michigan head coach, was in his first two years. And he afforded me the opportunity to be a captain. And I was a captain my four years at, at Cal Berkeley. So hearing that and hearing that leadership was always not only a part of you, but a, a vital or integral part of you, um, talk to me a little bit about making that transition from having the ball in your hands, being a, a captain on the floor, to kind of shifting roles and going into coaching um, and, and starting your career Outside, still connected to the game, obviously, but you know, no longer playing, no longer having. You know, it's like you have that impact on the game, but you you can't. When that last second comes, you can't take that shot. You got to hope that you prepare them for that shot. So, talk to me a little bit about that. Well, my transition from playing to coaching, I'll tell you this: I prayed, I prayed to the man upstairs and said, "I want to make it to the NBA. Please, please, please." I, I pray to God, can I make it to the NBA? Right. JB, sometimes opportunities come at the inopportune time. You're going to have to make a decision or a sacrifice, right? Yeah. Here I am, my senior year in college, had five NBA workouts. And I tore ligaments in my ankle. I began to rehab. I'm lonely in the summer putting guys through workouts, meaning just rebound, because I can't work out. I'll do my rehab, I couldn't work out. So I just rebound for my boys and say, hey, let's get some shots up, man. I didn't know I was being watched. I had no clue. The late, great Dennis Johnson, Alvin Gentry, gave me my first opportunity. They presented and said, hey, what do you want to do? I said, man, I'm waiting on this ankle to heal, because guess what? I'm thinking they're looking at me like, okay, yeah. this guy's resume, he can be big time, let me see. No, they were talking about what you want to do in the long run, what you want to do inevitably. I said, eventually I'll probably coach, but why you ask? 
What if we create this position for you? So here I am, 22 years old, getting a position created for me with the LA Clippers, player development. Now I prayed to God, I wanted to make the NBA. I just wasn't specific enough. <laughs> but here I am, my first year in the NBA, man. Uh, you know, I got an opportunity to travel every day. I begged Dennis Johnson, DJ, let me get your scouts. It was a difficult decision, a fork in the road, but it was a great opportunity I couldn't pass up. Sometimes we get so closed off and, and, and from, from, from being presented opportunities that we get in the way of ourselves. Absolutely. I was just afforded the opportunity to, to learn from some people, and they always taught me, be prepared to take the opportunity and, and vice versa, and you never know down the line what it can, can or cannot do for you. So I was blessed, man, to be in the NBA, but not playing as I prayed, but I was coaching my first year in the NBA. That's, that's amazing. And, and, you know, I was going to talk to you about the, um, the tutelage and, and leadership of Coach Leonard Hamilton. But when you think about, you know, Dennis Johnson, Alvin Gentry, Ben Braun, I mean, some of the people that you've had the opportunity to learn under, you know, talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, that coupled with, you know, the, the years spent with Coach Hamilton and how that's prepared you for where you're at right now. Well, it was unbelievable. Like I said, I've been, if you ask my best friends, they would say I've been coaching since high school. Mm. Uh, but when you look at the leadership Ben Brown allowed me to do, I, I look at that and, and, and I say that that is definitely a foundation. Uh, being able to fresh out of college work for Alvin Gentry and Dennis Johnson doing, doing NBA scouts and working out NBA players, working out Elton Brand, Lamar Odom, um, you name it. OK, um, then couple that with my ability to go right back to college and work for Tom Cream as a GA and then Leonard Hamilton as a GA. My foundation of coaches, teachers, they have all uniquely molded me into who I am. I've taken a little bit from each. And I'll tell you, uh, Leonard Hamilton, man, I, I cannot thank him enough for what he allowed me to do he allowed me to 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 explore and fail he allowed me to uh lead even as a full-time assistant at florida state but the one thing he taught me jb was he taught me how to balance this unbelievable career with being a husband being a father and being a mentor and doing it for the right reasons he taught me that and I, I'm, I'm forever thankful for him my biggest biggest champion is is george ravelin george ravelin is the one person every summer I work Jordan camp in Santa Barbara, George Ravelin. I said, George, Coach Rav, I want to be just like you. I want to be a successful black head coach. Not just the head coach. I want to be a successful black head coach like you. And ever since then, he put his arms around me. And his dream was to see my dream come true and to be a successful head coach. Now, I'm on my way to that. I haven't accomplished all that I can, but I'm, I'm, I'm on that journey currently. He is and has been available to me. So you look at George Ravelin, Leonard Hamilton, I got him on speed dial, and those are two of the most accomplished, I would say, uh, figures um, you know, in college basketball who has impacted the game. That's amazing. I mean, um, it's funny because you, you can't script these answers, but I literally had a conversation. You know, I interviewed Kevin Sutton um, last week, and he, 
he echoed almost the exact same things you just said about George Raveling and about the impact and what he's done for his career. And, you know, I think about the, and I was going to touch on it a little bit later, but I think it's, you know, it's the, the time is now to talk about it, about the, the influence and the impact of having strong black figures and role models and mentors to be able to to pull you to the side, put their arm around you and say, hey, um, not only are they going to support you, but it gives you somebody to look up to and look forward to. Uh, when you think about your generation and the generation that follows, and you think about the um, you know the the lack of you know representation as far as black head coaches in NCAA basketball. Um, what kind of impact do you see yourself doing to create that same um, kind of reach back and pull up that a George Raveling or a Leonard Hamilton or John Cheney or John Thompson have done? Right. Uh, so that's a great question, man. And, and unbelievable thought behind that is thought provoking. Um, those guys taught me that it's not just about me. It's about me uh, successfully having an open heart, open ears to their guidance, because sometimes leadership is there, but we are in our own way. So my sight and, and my foresight into allowing myself and, and, and saying when George Ravelin calls me and says, hey, you may want to work for Leonard Hamilton, me not second guessing that. Me just getting in my car driving to become uh, Coach Hamilton's grad assistant without questioning anything. It's a responsibility and a two-way street. So where there is leadership, there has to be some type of blind faith. And I had that blind faith and they taught me what it looks like and what it doesn't look like. They taught me how now to lift as I climb, meaning always look back and attempt to uh, help someone else, reach out to people after a loss, not just after wins when everybody's calling, but after a loss. This is a lonely profession, JB. And if it's not done correctly, you're not getting the emotional, the, the transparent, support that's deserved and, and, and accomplished, you're going to feel isolated and, and then you may not see the things you need to see to help build a program. So those guys taught me how to do that, but also how to be responsible for the next generation. Be responsible for yourself because everybody's watching, but also lift as I climb uh, and, and continue to be intentional with my career. Absolutely. Uh, you, you couldn't have said any better. A couple key things that stand out to me is, you know, lift as you climb. Um, the other thing that stands out to me is the responsibility. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. Um, and, and understanding that and understanding that what you're representing um, and then the other thing you said is is be intentional, and, and that's something that you know I can tell you know you you know it's it's exact same thing Coach Sutton talked about is being intentional and being intentional in your your movements and in your your leadership and in you know connecting and communicating with guys like you said not just you know everybody wants to help hold the trophy up right um, but but not everybody wants to help hold the man up you know when when he's had a rough day or a rough week or a rough month um, so so being that and 
when you talk about that, you talk about being there and supporting others. Uh, let, let's shift gears. Let's talk a little bit about creating a culture, uh, a championship culture, a winning culture. And, and the reason why I touch on that, um, you know, when, when you look at your career as a coach and, and you look at specifically the time you spent at Florida State, seven NCAA tournaments, two Sweet 16s, Elite Eight, uh, you, you developed and you were a part of a winning culture. You know, you, winning became synonymous with Florida State uh, to now transitioning to the head coach at Cleveland State where, you know, they've reached the NCAA tournament twice, you know, in, in the 42-year history. Um, what are some of the steps that intentionally you'll do and things that you'll impart in building that culture within this program uh, so that regardless of what that roster looks like year in year out guys will know that hey we're here to win we're we're a championship program within this conference and, and we're our goal is to to be playing late in march well first of all i'll tell you this um ever since i knew i was going to be a coach i put my plan on paper from day one i believed in it and i truly um you know am guided by my actions must match my dreams okay i identified all my equal stakeholders or percentage stakeholders of my dream their dream should be to see my dream come true um i've prepared uh and pivot to prepare around obstacles i mean no different no one planned this pandemic right but you got to be prepared to pivot around the obstacles and be flexible and be understanding and have self-grace um and I, re, re, I, I have rewritten my, my plan. So I, what those five things stands out to me when it, when it comes down to all of it. Now, getting into your question. Now, repeat the first part of that question again for me because it's very interesting. So, you know, the, the winning culture. That, right. Now, stop that, right there. Yep. Winning culture. It's invisible. Yep. It's, in, it's totally invisible. It's, people have to feel it. They have, to, they have to be able to understand it, but it's something they can't touch. It's something they can't see. It's not, it's not a physical, it's, not a, it, it's more emotional than anything. So the first thing that I did, I wanted guys to know who I am. When I first got the job, JB, I didn't have an open gym, nor did I touch a basketball. How can I expect a young man to, to, to run through a wall for me if they don't know who I am? Yep. Most coaches ha have problems with jumping right into, oh, let's go rah, 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 basketball. Well, that kid only going to go so, so, so far for you, right? Yeah. Only going to – I didn't touch a basketball for two months. The first thing I did was I brought in the best sports psychologist in the country. First thing. That was the most important thing I could ever do. I wanted to break down barriers, barriers of who I am as a man, based off who they are as children, based off the environment. Remember, they're not coming into my home. I'm coming into their home. Yep. This is their institution. They're already students. Yep. So, so we got this thing all discombobulated as coaches. The other thing, when it comes to um, culture, I wanted to build it off championship, being champions in the classroom, on the court, and in the community. I truly believe that those three elements, if done correctly, if, if you are a champion in the classroom, the same things appear on the court. 
the same exact elements of or obstacles or or unhappy the same things apply and i wanted them to be habits in these young men community the same type of unselfishness we expect people to give you got to serve now you got to be able to understand what serving means so i truly believe if you know how to serve outside of the game of basketball in the community if you can turn a a, a stranger into a friend you have now on 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 your back every element it takes to win a championship on the court and that's where i started the eight core values that i've i've instilled was friendship love accountability and trust friendship you're not born with friends is different than kinship you you have to choose them wisely but it takes a a blind faith to turn a stranger into a friend and it's one of the most precious gifts in the world friendship love men don't tell each other that they love each other um it is it, 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 it's strange i tell my guys i love them every day every single day i hug them and i tell them i love them every single day accountability we already know what that is most kids scream for it but their body language is so immature that sometimes it gives off a different vibe that they don't like it no they just don't know how to handle it they're developing and trust there's no there's absolutely no trust without sacrifice there's no trust without faith trust underlines a lot of things that's the first part now that acronym is flat that spells out flat friendship love accountability trust the other side is duet so flat duet is discipline, unselfishness, enthusiasm, and toughness. Discipline, we already know what discipline is. We, I don't even have to go down that road. Unselfishness, I don't even have to go into that road, but we have special definitions that define each of these terms, right? Enthusiasm, come on now, <laughs> come on now. If you can't do every single thing in life with the amount of enthusiasm necessary to accomplish that goal, you're in trouble. Your actions must match your goals. No matter what the temperature in the room is or the obstacle or the mountain you gotta climb, your enthusiasm gotta match it, right? And toughness, there's no doubt about it, you gotta have a type of resilience and the toughness I speak of is protecting all of those letters, all of those words, like your life depended on it. And that's what I've built it on, man. And, and it's been unbelievable that guys have received it and it's something that I've tweaked along the way, but ultimately, you know, through the years, I've built that out. So we, the question I asked was about building a championship culture, and the answer that you gave me sounds like not only are you building a championship culture, um, but you're building champions for life. So talk to me about, you know, fr from what I'm hearing, it sounds like so many people have poured into you, and the the pouring into was not um it, it, it was not about what they could receive from you on the basketball court it wasn't about you know wins and losses they were trying to make you a winner for life and they were trying to prepare you for the battle that you were going to face for not the next four years but the next 40 years uh talk to me a little bit about the inspiration to prepare these young men for the next 40 years of their life, not that next season coming up. 
Well, I'll say this. Um, four years is a fleeting moment. A fleeting moment. It goes by quick, JB. But the special thing about that fleeting moment of four years, sometimes three, sometimes two, sometimes one, every basketball player, every student athlete always remembers what coach said. When they 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, <laughs> always remember it. It is a platform that is probably one of the most impacting platforms out there. It's one of the most influential platforms out there. We are able to build young people and help them enter the world. A lot of students don't have what student athletes have in college. So ultimately the big picture in that is building these people the right way so that they can be successful, so they can become CEOs, so they are equipped to be a great husband, a great father, and be a head of the household and help support even a successful woman where they may have to adapt and not be the head of the household, but they are a great teammate, yep. first and foremost, because it's rooted in friendship, love, accountability, trust, discipline, unselfishness, enthusiasm, and toughness. It's rooted in that. So for me, being able to impact a kid this way, I am unbelievably thankful the man upstairs chose me to do such a thing. Because I don't do it for money. I don't do it for money. I hadn't done it for money. I hadn't looked at a contract before I signed it since I've been in coaching. My grandmother gave me a scripture. It's easier for a camel to walk through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to walk through the gates of heaven. I don't make decisions about money. Never have, never will. It's not what you do with the money. It's what you do with the opportunity that is presented with you. I would rather have winners in life and successful CEOs, unbelievable teammates. The, the biggest gift I can receive back is to see myself sitting next to parents on, on a kid's wedding day or right behind their parents. The second best gift I can see is all their teammates standing right next to them. Yes, sir. That's an unbelievable sight. And I grade myself not on the recruiting class or what is ranked, but what they have done after I have been in their life. And, and, and it's, it's one of those things where externally, sometimes us coaches are judged. And this is the part or the element they don't see. Like you said, we're more than a recruiter. We're more than a coach. We, 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 are, we are putting these kids' life to lead and to help them navigate. And basketball is a compass to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, everything you're saying, man, it, it's, it's inspiring me to want to, you know, strap <laughs> on and play for you. So let me ask you this question, right? Yep. So we're in unprecedented times. Uh, yep. We're navigating through COVID. College coaches aren't able to get out and recruit, get out and, and see guys. Um, what can a young man be doing right now to help his chances of being seen or to, to you know, to, to put himself in a position to, to be recruited if he's not somebody that college coaches already know or not somebody that people are already calling and reaching out to? Well, I'll say this, JB. Um, these young people are going through something that a lot of generations haven't, okay? Not, not only are they going through a pandemic, but they're going through the height of, of something just being visual, right? 
on social media. Social injustices have not been this visible. Ever. Ever. And this is as visible, it usually has taken months or weeks for it to maybe show up in a newspaper article or even to find the victim or, or the accuser or, 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 or the person who bestowed such in, injustices. These young people are seeing it in world record time. So the first thing I would say is absorb what's going on because it's gonna uniquely mold, mold these young people into leaders, into the people that they need to be. Don't close their eyes, don't blink, but absor absorb it. Don't run from the hard times that the pandemic, meaning COVID-19, is, is, is causing because it's in the middle of a transition. Our world is in the middle of a transition. Sometimes it takes time and you have an overlapping of things, but it's changing right before our eyes. And these moments are going to create leaders of our tomorrow. Now you add, and I'm encouraged by all of it. Now you add the landscape of the civic responsibilities of these young people. More than ever, are they becoming more educated about voting and exercise it. I'm coming in a nonpartisan uh, perspective here. They see what the civic responsibility is and they're learning more of it, whereas they thought it's just about the president. No, it's about your local and state officials as well. And they're educating themselves, they're becoming well-versed. So I'm encouraged by these times and I would just tell them not to give up, don't, don't be, uh, discouraged. We all, we see you. We're, we see them. We, we just have to adapt as how we make decisions. Right. They need to continue to do what they're doing. But JB, recruiting has evolved so much that coaches have changed. It went from in the 70s and 80s, being out on the road every day, right? <laughs> <laughs> to the 90s, where you're in this scope of summer, then the evolution of summer basketball, AAU, then you're seeing kids on a different platform. Then you saw video and in person. Now it's just transition into video right now. So we've, we've evolved as decision makers on how to properly evaluate. They need to just continue to do what they're doing and work harder and be prepared for the opportunities. Now, they can't be on college campuses for the first time ever, there's equal playing field out there in the recruiting world. No kid is making a decision, hopefully, on the site of a gym, a sellout crowd. Tell me when the next time a sellout crowd is gonna be, JB. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So all the hoopla surrounding those decisions, they've been, they've been nullified. They've been equalized. And all I'm saying, they have to now get to know a coach yep. without, putting the wool over their eyes. They got to know the people more than ever. And it's encouraging to me because I truly think that they're going to make the right decisions for them. And it's not just going to be a basketball decision. So I'm going to make academic and personal interpersonal relationship decisions.
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You touched on, I mean, the evolution of of it all, the evolution of recruiting, the evolution of playing, the evolution of coaching. And I tell guys, I try and you know give them, anytime we talk about a negative, I try and give a positive. And the reality is, uh, although it's more difficult, I think that now you can see more players than you could even a year ago because you know, you're not spending as much time traveling and on the road. You're, you're in front of your computer, you're evaluating players, you're watching you know, different. So like you said, just for them to stay consistent, for them to stay confident and continue to do the things that they do. Uh, I, I'm absolutely, you know, I, I love doing these interviews more than, than anything that I do. Uh, and, and mainly because I learn so much about people. Um, I also get an opportunity to learn about the business from different perspectives. Uh, and inevitably, I walk away from each of these conversations and I learn more about myself. Or I learn more about, you know, how to apply things to my journey. Uh, and, and without a doubt, you know, you've given me some gems. Um, you've given me some things that, you know, I will carry on moving forward. Two questions I want to end with. Um, one, you know, a lot of times I hear from, from coaches, whether they be, you know, guys at the, the grassroots level that are looking to make the jump to college or high school guys that are looking to make the jump from, to college. And, you know, we have those conversations and they talk about what is it, what can I do to better prepare myself for that opportunity or to put myself in the position to earn an opportunity. Uh, and the reason why I'm asking you this question is because and I look at you know one of your, your former uh, coaches, Steve Wright, and you know he made that transition under you know your tutelage, going from you know he was a, a grassroots coach, um, and he made that transition from grassroots coach to to video coordinator on your staff, and now he's a full time assistant at, at Bowling Green. So. When you're when guys are going into this process and they're looking to make that jump, how important are roles like you know graduate assistant, um, video uh, video coordinator, things like that? How important are those things for those guys to make that transition? Well, you got to have a that's a great question. You got to have a long term vision, not short term, and you can't make decisions for money. You can't look at uh, situations and say, ah, I don't pay enough. But the opportunity is one that is surplus, right? That's how you have to look at it. There's no job or, or as long as you don't uh, compromise your ethical standards, there's no job that, that you shouldn't want to do because it's going to uniquely set a foundation for you. Whether it's sweeping the floors, doing the laundry, it's going to obviously pour into different um, aspects of your next job and 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 it'll allow you to be a better leader because you know what that view is from that bottom spot so you can either be a top down or a bottom uh bottom down a top down or a bottom up type of leader i prefer the bottom up someone that's on the the same playing field and for me giving a guy like steve wright an opportunity giving a guy like ryan Shawball an opportunity Giving a, a, a guy like Drew Joyce the third an opportunity. These guys haven't been Division One coaches, but I put them in situations because I knew that their backgrounds was one that was unique, and it would be valuable, more valuable than me hiring a ten-year assistant. Drew Joyce the third has played the game since he was ten. <laughs> you telling me his experience as a coach's son and a coach? He's he's unbelievable, man. 
He's unreal, an unreal coach. Steve Wright, the same way. Steve Wright, come on, man. It's all about opportunities, JB. Yeah. And you gotta, you gotta uh, latch on to people who are willing to have blind faith and trust, not who they see, but who you're going to become. And that's, that's how I look at it, because guess what? I was that person too. Absolutely. I was that person too. So just be encouraged, man, and, and, and being, you know, guys gotta be able to reach out. Don't, don't be discouraged if guys don't call you back. Be relentless in that and building relationships. So with that answer, you came full circle to where we started at and talking about um, your path and your journey and you being that guy that has that blind faith and takes that GA job after you know being that um, skill development guy in the NBA. Um, when it's all said and done, and it's gonna be a long time before it's all said and done, but uh, when you mentioned and as you introduce yourself and you said who you are for those that don't know you, uh, we think about legacy, and legacy is, is what we leave this world when we're gone, what we leave this game when we're done with it. Uh, when you think about the legacy of Dennis Gates, and you think about the way that you want Dennis Gates to be remembered by you know, players that you coached, coaches that you developed and mentored, um, families that you, you, you touched and you changed, and people's lives that you adjusted, when it's all said and done, what does that legacy look like for you, and, and what is it that you, know, you wanna make sure you leave this world when you leave it a better place? Wow. Hey man, that that is a serious question right there. Now, um, wow. Well, I'll say this: I got into coaching not for the money, but for the impact. My biggest goal when I looked at an institution was to become the all-time winningest coach. That's my goal. That's how you build legacies. I was intrigued by Cleveland State because it was the first predominantly white institution to give a black man a job. John McClendon was the coach here. A lot of people don't realize and associate that with, but if you know your history, that's, that's history. That's what made me believe in Cleveland State even more. Obviously you look at what Gary Waters have done. Uh, you had Raleigh Massimino, you had Kevin Mackey, but John McClendon was the first black coach given an opportunity at a predominantly white institution. It was in 1966. So I'm saying all that to say, I'm living in my dream right now. I'm living in my dream. I said to leave my mentor, Leonard Hamilton. And my biggest goal was to try to see him win a national championship. For me to leave it, it has to be somewhere, somewhere special. We have an unbelievable president, Harlan Sands, unbelievable AD, Scott Garrett, to be able to be in partnership with them to, to, to build this program has been a rewarding, rewarding deal. My mentors have prepared me for the moment, but I'm living in my dream and my legacy is not just built on trying to get over 194 wins at Cleveland State, but it's to win over 194 student athletes and see them become unbelievable husbands, fathers, CEOs, and proud alumni. And maybe one day coaches, right? But that's, that's how I see it, man. And, and I'm encouraged, I'm excited. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely blessed to be in this opportunity. But, um, you know, 
I'm, I'm, you know, it, I can't put my finger on it every day, but I wake up and it don't feel like work. That's the best way to have it. Uh, so I appreciate your time. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, you know, without a doubt, like I said, there's so many positive things that I took away from this, and I think that there's a lot of things that you know those that that didn't know who who Dennis Gates was coming into this call uh, will will take away from it. Um, I, I'm going to continue to cheer for your overall success. You know, not just not not just on on the court wins and losses, but just in life. Um, anything I can do for you, you know, I'm here for you. Hey, appreciate it, man. Go Vikings.